Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. If you would, please turn with me to Galatians 3.26. If you don't have a Bible today and you'd like a, a copy of God's Word, just raise your hand. We'll make sure we get you one. Right there. Thomas, would you mind grabbing a, a few Bibles? Thank you, sir. Got one in the back and one in the front here. Galatians 3.26. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all, for all of you who are baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as David prayed in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. I'm sorry, you have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> We've reached an interesting point in chapters 3 and 4 of Galatians. You've heard it said many times that Paul was fighting against the Judaizers and their addition of Jewish law to the gospel of faith alone. And to be sure, Paul had addressed the Galatians and reminded them of what they had experienced. But the majority of what we've seen in chapter 3 has been Paul countering the Judaizers' false message. In chapter 3, starting in verse 6, Paul conducts a shock and awe campaign against the false doctrine of faith plus law, or faith plus circumcision, by first proving that the promise of the salvation predated the law. He took to the scriptures and he pointed out that the promise God made to Abraham was made before the law was given, and even before the covenant marking of circumcision. Paul then looked at Moses and the law. He demonstrated the weakness of the law, and it was mediated uh, through angels to Moses, and then given to the people. 
Unlike the promise made to Abraham, man was involved in this transaction. And though the law had a purpose, Paul made sure the Galatians understood the promise came first and held primary position. He also made sure they understood the law was there as, as a jailkeeper of sorts. It contained or imprisoned the Israelites until Abraham's seed could free them. That seed was Jesus Christ, the perfect and sinless, fully God and fully man Messiah that would break down the prison gates and free the Israelites through his righteousness. Paul also called the law a tutor. It was there to teach the Israelites. He pointed out that the law was, was given to show the Israelites its need for a savior. And he made sure to point out that the law was given for a time meaning it had purpose, but its purpose was temporary. He ended last week's study in verse 25, but now faith has come and we are no longer under a tutor, which sets us up for today's first verse, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned up to this point, Paul has been arguing against the Judaizers and their theology, but now we've kind of reached a hinge in chapters 3 and 4. Whereas Paul was uh, countering the Judaizers before, he's going to shift to the Gentiles now. If we were to draw a picture of Paul's argument in, in chapters 3 and 4, we'd see something that, that sort of looked like a mountain. right? And Paul started with the Israelites on this side, and, and he started with the base, the promise, the promise to Abraham. And then he moved to the law, the law given through Moses. And then he moved to faith, faith in Christ Jesus. And then today we get to verse 26, for you are all sons of God. He crescendos with it. And after speaking about what it means to be a son of God, Paul will talk to the Gentiles in a, in a sort of mere fa fashion, in, in, in an image. He's going to argue back down the other side of the mountain. So we climb the mountain with the, with the Judaizers, and we're going to come back down the mountain with the Gentiles. He's going to start first by talking about their faith in Christ. Then he's going to move to the law, or the stoichia to cosmos, or the elemental things of this world. Then he will speak of the promise made to Abraham's wife, Sarah. So you see this picture. Promise, law, faith, Jesus. Faith, law, promise. Right? It's beautifully designed. And all that to say, we're at the top of the mountain. And just for a moment, we get a glorious view unhindered by atmosphere or pollution. We're standing on the mountaintop now, peering into the light of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's linger on the mountaintop here, just for a moment. Take a look at the statement. For you are all sons of God. We're no longer under the tutelage of the law. We are sons and daughters of God. But what does that mean? You've heard the song, I am a child of God, right? What does that mean? If you, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, we're going we're to start in verse 4, and Paul's going to tell the Ephesians what it means to be a child of God. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
We are seated. Seated with Christ. When you walk into a throne room, you walk in, amble over, pull out a chair, flop down. Hey, Kim, how you doing? No. Right? When you walk into a throne room, you walk into that throne room, you stand at attention. Right? You're, you're, you're standing at attention. But he tells us here that we've been seated with Christ. We've been seated with Christ. We are sons and daughters with Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6.18, God calls us sons and daughters. And knowing that, we, we need to ask ourselves the question, how should, we, how should that affect our daily lives? How should that affect our decisions? Every decision. As a son or a daughter growing up, what was the first thing you said to your friends when, you, when they wanted to do something with you? Let me check with my parents. How did you know what you were going to do that day? Let me check with my parents. What did you do when you struggled? Let me check with my parents. Who celebrated your victories and mourned with you and lost? Your parents. Who disciplined you when you got out of line? Your parents. What a beautiful defense of a biblical family. In our culture today, they want to tear down this family. They want to get in the way of parents as they raise their children. They want to replace parents in certain situations and allow the state to raise children. Parents, you are a picture. A shadow of God for your children. So, so when they read, for you are all sons of God, they understand that God loves them even more than their parents do. I realize we do not live in a perfect world. I realize very personally that families can take different shapes through a death or sin or neglect. But for those of you out there who didn't have one parent or both parents, the beautiful picture that Paul is painting here is that you do have a heavenly father. One that loves you more than you can imagine. More than any earthly father could. And through your church, you have many earthly fathers and mothers. You, you have uh, earthly brothers and sisters. And when you get a little older, a little shinier on top, a little gray in the beard, you have many sons and daughters through your church. Praise be to God that he can redeem any situation. For you are all sons of God through faith. John 1.12 tells us, But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It doesn't matter who your mommy and daddy are. It doesn't matter how much you will it. It only matters how much you believe it. And even your belief is a gift from God. For all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. In Christ symbolizes a union with Christ, right? We are to abide. John 15, uh, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that they may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Christian life isn't just imitating Christ. It's an experience in which every characteristic, every distinctive point of your life comes from Christ. 
We are a part of the body of Christ. Uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, you may want to take a look at it uh, this week. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members of one body. As we are sons and daughters of God, we are called to be one body. We are called to care for each other, to share in each other's victories and mourn each other's losses. As a body, we are called to work together in our relationships, in our walk with Christ, in our church. We are a team, a family. I've said it before, I'll say it again. We, uh, we're like sticks that can so easily be snapped. But when bundled together and wrapped in the protective arms of God, an unbreakable rod for exposing and destroying the evil around us. And we need each other. We need our family in Christ. Because, dear brothers and sisters, if we are doing right, if we are faithfully seeking to impact our community for Christ, we will face persecution. If we are striving as sons and daughters of the living God, we will face suffering. We're in enemy territory. Remember, when we went over Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 27, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict that you saw in me, and now here to be in me. We are sons and daughters of God, but while we are here on earth, we are in a war. And if we want this church to grow, if we want this church to stay true to God's holy word and not our ever-changing culture, we have to lock shields. One body, as a team, together, as a family, in Christ. Amen. Paul continues in verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We're going to have a baptism, or possibly a few baptisms, in the upcoming month here. And for those of you who have been baptized, do you remember what that symbolizes? It's a picture of what God did, or what Christ did. We are identifying with Christ when we go down into the water. Right? We symbolize his death. And it becomes the death of our old self. Our sinful self is dying down there in that water. All of our earthly ones, our desires, our lusts are laid down. And our old self dies and is buried like Christ was buried. 
but it doesn't end there. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't want to get baptized. Right? You got to get out of the water. Because when we come up out of the water, we're symbolizing Jesus' resurrection. We realize that when we put our faith in Christ, there should be a radical change in how we look at life. You don't go kill your former self, be resurrected, and then head back out into the world and be what the world does anymore. There's a radical change. Because when we are lifted out of that water, we clothe ourselves in Christ. We are a new creation, clothed in the righteousness of Christ's work on the cross. And now, as Paul says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I love America. I think it's one of the greatest countries in history. And lately, it's been suffering turmoil. Racial turmoil. Political turmoil. Turmoil over our COVID response. I turned on the news last night, and I looked at it again this morning. Some wacko went up to Buffalo and, and uh, mowed down 10 people and injured three more people. And he did it, uh, they're telling us, out of, out of uh, racial hatred. There was one that happened uh, a month or two ago. A guy went into a subway, started shooting people, and he did it out of a racially motivated hatred. Two different races hating each other. Hating each other enough to go shoot each other. Not, and not just each other, shooting people they don't even know. And all the while, politicians. They love to look into the sea of cameras and they tell us, I have the answer. I can fix this. And our special interest groups, they love to get in front of the cameras and they tell us, they have the answer. I can do this. We can make everything right, everything good and fair and just. But they don't. Without Christ, they are bags filled with wind. They are tea kettles screaming into a dark kitchen. Without Christ, no nation can be right and good and fair and just. We look at this astounding statement that Paul has made here, and we need to realize that this, this is the answer to a better country. Politicians can legislate, and, and citizens can and, and should vote. But if it's done without Christ, it's dust in the wind. Psalm 2, 1 through 6 says, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? All the kings of earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. I follow a, a guy on YouTube. He likes to go through and he finds progressive churches or churches that are, that are promoting heresy. And he exposes them for what they are. And the common theme that goes through each one of those the thing that we see in each one of those is we need to tear down tear down what we've been taught this book says and we need to rebuild something better now that we're more advanced and more more uh, culturally advanced we can interpret this better than paul did right let's tear their fetters apart and cast their cords away from Look at God's response. Verse 4. 
He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Brothers and sisters, if we could just get verse 28 into the minds of people, if we could show them a family that is full of people that come from different backgrounds or races or whatever, if this family, the family of Brentwood Bible Fellowship, can show the world that we are all one in Christ, we will be doing more than any Supreme Court or senator or president. And people will marvel at it. And it will be because we are a body of people clothed in Christ. We are one. Doesn't matter how much melanin you do or do not have in your skin. Doesn't matter where you came from. In Christ, we are one. Paul continues in verse 29, and he says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. We we see the shift now. Paul's starting to come down the side of the mountain where the Gentiles are. We climbed up over the Judaizers. We went through the promise, the law, the faith. We got to Christ. And now he's going to argue in a reverse fashion all the way back down the other side of the mountain. If we have faith in the risen Son, we are Abraham's descendants, according to the promise made 3,700-ish years ago. On a little hill where a man believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, now, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Paul has moved uh, from his tutor and prison guard explanation of the the law of God, and now he's speaking in terms that the Roman citizens would have been more familiar with. Roman boys were indeed heirs to their father's estates, but while they were children, they were treated like slaves. They had no rights, and they were told told what and what not to do, and they faced strict penalties. Roman fathers could, without repercussion, discipline their children with great ferocity, up to and including death. Much like they could discipline their slaves. But the heir of the estate was technically the owner of everything. Even while they were a slave, they were still the owner of everything. It was technically his, but he had no access other than what the father wanted to give him until he became an adult. The fathers even determined the date that the child would be considered an adult. Right? They could say, oh, five more days and then I turn 16 and I'm an adult. The father set the date. We see in verse 3 that unlike the law of God uh, that was a tutor to the Israelites, the law of the elemental things of the world was the overseer of the Gentiles. Or it was their law, which was nothing more than a perverted and twisted version of God's law. And just what were these elemental things of the world? 2 Corinthians 4, uh, starting in verse 3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Who is the God, little g, of this world? Satan. And Satan rules, 
much as God lets him, this world with a whole host of demons. It is Satan and these demons that have infested the world with every false religion, every atheism that's out there. Those are doctrines of demons. Look, look at 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Paul is warning Timothy. And he's, he's, he's warning him what, what he's going to face as a pastor. And he says in verse 1, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. This is the law the Gentiles have been under. And it's the same law that unbelievers are under today. The doctrines of demons. As I already mentioned, this doctrine or law was nothing more than a perversion of God's law. Satan and his demons take the very thing that is God's law and they twist it. They say it's wrong. They, 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 they somehow make it so that that's how unbelievers and, and pagan religions measure what is right and how they are saved. Across this great nation this morning, people are lining up to hear these doctrines. They're flowing into churches which will tell them what they need to do to receive salvation. That they need to keep doing something to keep that salvation if they ever want to have hope of being in heaven. I told you the story of my Hindu friend who told me that we do both good and bad things and they, and they stack up in something called karma, right? Heard karma before. And when people die, their karma is measured. And if there's more good works than bad works, you eventually attain nirvana. And I remember asking him, how do you know when you've done more good works than bad works? How do you know when you're saved? And he thought about it for a minute. And he said, I don't know. It's a doctrine of demons. No, no hope. No promise. Only empty works forever and ever. It's a brutal law that is ever-changing. It's always shifting. What made you a good person a thousand, a hundred, or even ten years ago morphs to follow whatever demonically inspired doctrine is in power at the time. But although it changes, it never moves from darkness to light. The doctrine is inspired by hell and is limited to always being hellish. If you remember the pagans that were in the promised land, God instructed the Israelites to completely and utterly destroy. They used to sacrifice their babies to a god they called Moloch. In the ceremony, the metal statue of Moloch would be heated until it glowed red. Then the priests would begin banging drums. The hands were out there, they'd be red, red hot. The priests would begin banging drums. So the sound of that little baby being laid in those burning red hands, being burned alive on that altar, would not reach the ears of the people, the parents. demonically inspired doctrines in the pit of hell. Thank goodness 
when you aren't as uncivilized as those monsters, right? Thank goodness we've, we've matured, right? We're so much more civilized. Since taking office, Governor Newsom has signed several bills increasing access to and decreasing the cost of abortion. In March this year, Governor Newsom signed SB 245. SB 245 prohibits health plans and insurers from imposing a copay, deductible, or other cost-sharing requirement for abortion and abortion-related services. In September of 2021, Governor Newsom signed two bills, AB 1356 and AB 1184. AB 1356 added harsher penalty for those folks who go to abortion clinics to offer help and counseling to women headed in for abortions. AB 1184 made it so that if people weren't the primary person on a health care policy, this means parents, others on that policy could get abortions or even gender-affirming care without that information being shared with the primary policyholder. See parents. On October 11th, 2019, Newsom signed SB 24 and AB 1264. SB 24 requires, requires student health centers on University of California and California State University campuses to offer abortion by medication techniques on site. And AB 1264 requires the California Commission on the Status of Women and Girls to administer a reproductive health fund which will provide private funding to public university health centers to provide these new services outlined in the previous bill. The bill will reduce barriers for the hundreds of California public university students who are forced to go off campus to seek medication abortions every month, often missing class and delaying their access to this legal reproductive healthcare procedure. Who needs drones? We have reproductive health care with patient doctor privilege, even when that patient is your son or your daughter. Get pills, and vacuums, and in some cases, forceps. My have to be more civilized. Doctrines of demons in the pit of hell. Before we go on, we need to pause. Because we face a danger here. Before we grow too prideful, before we look at those people and say those people are disgusting, it's those people. Remember, they are blinded by the God of this world. And so are you. And so was I. At one point, we were blinded. But by the grace of God, our eyes have been opened. We can see the terrible evil around us, but we can address it. And Paul tells us why in verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! Our eyes have been opened in God's time and on his son's cross. Redemption has been offered to all. 
And not just redemption as if that wasn't enough, but God's Holy Spirit in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The, the word there, Abba, I'm sure you've heard before, right? It means Daddy, right? They still use it in the Middle East to this day. It implies a close, close personal bond. Right? Abba. Father. Both the Gentile and the Jewish laws were temporary. Their time is over. We as Gentiles may not have a law delivered by Moses, but we have a law. It's a terrible, death-loving law that blinds and deceives and destroys. Look around you, Christian. Look at those that are still blinded. Look to those poor, deceived mothers at abortion clinics. Look to the deceived men who slept with them all the while thinking they weren't doing anything wrong. Look to our culture that tells little boys it's okay if they think they are a girl. Look to our culture that mutilates and deforms its children to the glee and racious applause of demons. And remember, you were one of them once. We all were. Deceived and blinded and in search of hope. This week was hard. As I studied our country, what's going on in our country, suicide rates are through the roof. Our babies are, are, are committing suicide. They're overdosing on drugs. I, I see violence in the streets. We see children being disrespectful in every manner. There is no hope. They have no hope because they've been blinded by this world. And the only thing that can save them is Christ. It's God's power. It's God's hope. It's God's salvation. And even our faith is God's. So that none may brag. Because we were all blind until the fullness of time when God opened our eyes and adopted us into his family. Brothers and sisters, our world is in such pain right now. The suicides, the drug overdoses, the violence in the streets and in the homes. We need to be the light. We need to be the body that has it together. We need to be the body that others look at and say, why aren't you freaking out like me? Why do you have joy right now? Haven't you heard? Our economy's in the tank. I can't even fill up my gas tank halfway. There's no baby formula. There's men dressed as women reading to little kids in our schools and our libraries. There are people deforming themselves and trying to find the joy that I see in you. Why? Tell me. And we say, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we, you and I, might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. When they laugh at us, 
and when they spit at us, and when they call us fools or worse, we say it again and again and again and again. Because we know that salvation is God's. And we also know what God said through Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. We're stopping at verse 6 today. If we have enough to think about this week. Brothers and sisters, we are sons and daughters adopted by the Most High God. He has of his own accord credited us with Jesus Christ's righteousness. He has opened our eyes to the pain delivered by the laws of the ruler of this world and made us a body of many members. Members that are one under Christ. No matter what shade of skin you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've done. Romans 8.1 tells us, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are here with us today, and you haven't placed your trust in Christ, you find that you have no faith in the works that Jesus did for you and I. But God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's telling you about the love that Jesus had for you as he hung on that cross almost 2,000 years ago. He's telling you that the fullness of time has come and you need to place your faith in the God that sent his only son to redeem you and will send his Holy Spirit into your heart to cry, Abba, Father, don't wait. Today is the day. We're going to pray now. And then the worship team will come up for one last song. I'll stay up here for a bit. If you want to start your walk with Christ today, come down and talk with me. If you find that you just need some time to talk to God while the music plays, feel free. Come right down and pray right here. If you would like someone to pray with you, come get me. Or if you just need some time alone with God, that's fine too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in your time, you came and you opened our eyes. You sent your son to die on the cross so that all that would believe all that would have faith would be saved and there would be no more condemnation Lord, when we talk about things like this it's, it's, it's hard because we know people Lord and we know this world is broken and we know broken people and Lord may it never be that we are judging those people may it never be that we're thumbing our nose at them and, and exclaiming over our righteousness Lord, but that we have open arms with the righteousness of Christ wanting to share it with the rest of the world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. But in Jesus' name we pray.